I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Um, as you turn there, I'm, I'm going to invite my, my friend, just a moment, I'm going to invite our, our friend Dr. Furch to come up. He is with um, Spoken Worldwide, a mission organization, and he shared a story last weekend at our missions conference on a Friday night that I thought is really appropriate to the context of Mark chapter 1 and also something that, that we are a testimony that we are not really familiar with. And I'm going to invite him to come and share about what God is doing through Spoken World uh, as a spoken, excuse me, <clears throat> spoken worldwide as they take the message of the gospel out. So, uh, Dr. Furch, I'm going to invite you to come up. Well, good morning. My name is John, and uh, as uh, Pastor Clint mentioned, I work with Spoken Worldwide, a mission organization that, um, uh, that my role is to help train Bible translators and coach them through the process of translating the Bible orally. And what that means is our end product is not uh, a printed Bible, but a series of scripture recordings that people who speak languages that may not actually even be written down, uh, or perhaps uh, there's not a lot of education, and even if it was written down, they couldn't read it. So we help make the scriptures accessible who don't have the Bible in their language already, one, and who could not read it if it was written. Too. So that's my, my role. And in this process, the translators go through um, a series of activities to help them understand the Bible in a source language, a, a regional trade dialect that they do understand, and then translate it and retell it in their own language, recording it on their phone. And once they have a, a series of these draft recordings, something they have to do is go out and share it with people in their community to make sure that it sounds natural to the people um, who, who speak that language locally. And the, 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 the group that I'm working with, they, they, they live in central Ethiopia, and it's a people group that has a very low uh, percentage of believers. There's very few Christians. There's really only a handful of Christians who we could find, but they, they wanted the Bible in their own language, because when they go to worship, they have to worship in another language. They have to access God's Word in another language. And so they asked us to, to help them put the Bible into their own language. But when they go out and share it with others in their community, they, 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 they couldn't find any other Christians to share it with. So that means that this is a, a primarily Muslim community. And they were, they were a little nervous at first when they went out to share the Bible. But what they found when they started sharing these Bible recordings with their Muslim friends and neighbors is that they were very eager to accept these stories in their own language and hear these stories about Jesus, who they revere as a great prophet, even in Islam. And they were excited to receive words about God in their own language because the Muslims don't translate the Quran into other languages. The, the, the Quran is supposed to stay in Arabic. And if you want to learn the Quran, you have to learn Arabic. So Pastor Clint asked me to come and share this story of one of, our, uh, one, one of the ladies that heard these recordings in her own language for the first time. I shared this story on Friday night, so some of you may have already heard it if you were here with us Friday night last week. But uh, it resonated with the text this morning that we're studying, so he asked me to share it again. This lady's name was Fateh. And uh, this happened back in October after they finished translating the Gospel of Mark. 
So when our translator, Ficado, took the, the, uh, the recordings into the neighborhood and was looking for people to share with, he, he met with this lady named Fate and asked her to play these recordings. And when she heard these stories about Jesus, who she's heard about through Islam before, but not in her own language, and when she heard these stories about Jesus in her own language, she got very excited. And she said, I, th I thought that um, the Christians, they have their Amharic Bible. That's their regional trade language. They've got the Amharic Bible. And the Muslims have the Quran in Arabic. But I thought, I thought that my language, there were no words about God. Tell me, where are these people who talk about God in my language? Because I want to join them. How can I become one of them. So Fikadu, he led her to faith in Jesus. As she, as she heard these stories about what Jesus had done, uh, she accepted it for herself. She showed up at church the next, the next Sunday. Well, a few, uh, about a week later, Fikadu went back to follow up with her and to share more uh, of the recordings with her. And uh, this is his report, his account of what happened when he met with her that week. I'm going to read it because I don't want you to think that um, I'm, I'm making this up. This is what he reported to us as, as they experienced the Word of God in, in the local language that day back in October. Uh, she listened without much discussion all the way up through Mark chapter 7. He played all these recordings, Mark 1 through 7. And when they got to chapter 8, this is what happened. She started to show uneasy expressions, he wrote. Her eyes started to roll, and I could see her act like she was in, in deep pain, and she started to grind her teeth. I just continued to play the audio recording. At first, I just kept asking if she understood the recording and what it meant, but then I asked if she was all right. I felt like this could be the devil manifesting himself. And I wondered if she could be possessed. As she kept listening to the audio, she started shaking. And then she screamed, saying, ooh, it burns. All that was happening was the audio playing from my phone. I started praying. And then the evil spirit manifested itself, saying, why are you tormenting her? She was living peacefully with me. I told the spirit to shut up, and I told him to leave. And at this, she came back to her mind. She didn't know what had happened. I told her that there had been a genie. That's the Arabic word for an evil spirit. That's where we get our word genie, but they spell it differently. He said, there was a genie, and I rebuked it, and it went away. She was afraid. I asked her if she had ever experienced such things before, and she said she gets depressed and angry out of nowhere. Her family always worshipped different cultural gods, and they make sacrifices to them each month. They always fear that the genie would harm them and their family if they miss any sacrifices. I told her she shouldn't be afraid. The word of God is powerful, and that she should listen to this word and meditate on it every time. We made commitments to meet again. She said she would come to church on Sunday, and we departed. As Fikadu reflected on this experience, he said, I saw the power of the word of God. Even an audio recording from the book of Mark could not give the enemy any peace. And more than that, it changed her heart. I'm most grateful that I'm part of this holy work where people that never got to hear God's word hear it in their mother tongue. And spirits that have been tormenting families get rebuked by it. If there was a reason for us to 
be involved with Faith Promise. This is a, a great reminder of, of why we partner with um, our missionaries and why we send them out, because they go to places that we cannot go, and, and people live in oppression. They live in this, this place where Satan has controlled them, and many lives have been changed. You know, I, I love the fact that this person's life has been radically changed through the gospel, through the message of the gospel of Mark, the, the, uh, the text that we're looking at this morning. And what's interesting is this. In the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, we, we come to a situation where a guy's demon-possessed. Uh, Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's called four people to be with him. He moves to the city of Capernaum. He's in Capernaum. He's been invited because by the religious leaders to come and to share. And, and, and he goes to the synagogue in, in Capernaum, and, and he's invited to speak. And, and because of who he is, because of the words that he says, and because of his actions, his words and actions, because of who he is, the, the, the spiritual world is confronted with the reality of Jesus. And, and the people in Capernaum and the people in the synagogue, they, they're mesmerized, they're amazed at the authority that Jesus has. In our text, chapter 1, verse 22, notice what it says. As the people were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority. There's something uniquely different about the person of Jesus Christ. And then after this demon is cast out in our text, verse 27, it says this. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other. They begin to discuss one another, begin to, to talk to one another. What is this? A new teaching and with authority, he commands even the evil spirits and they obey him. The, the idea, the thought behind this word authority is this, that rule and dominion and power. These people in this synagogue, in a church, if you will, have been confronted with not only the acts, but the words of Jesus. And it brought transformation to this man who has been held captive. The authority of Jesus. Do you ever consider the authority of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us? Think about where we live today. I wonder if we're not living in an unprecedented time of questioning authority. Consider where we've been the last two years with this COVID-19 virus. Now, two years ago, we were told to do this, and we were told to do this, and we were told to do this by the so-called experts. A lot of good things we were told to do. The problem is this expert would say this, and the next expert would say maybe the exact opposite. And, and sometimes you're left scratching your head. Well, I, I don't understand. What, what, what are we supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? You're an authority and you're an authority. And, and whose authority do we follow? What authority do we align ourselves in? Everybody's saying their authority. What about the situation with Ukraine? There's a lot of different options out there. Sanctions, force. What, what do we do? This expert says this. This expert says this. What are we supposed to do? I'm scratching my head. Going, what, what do the experts say? Who do we just follow? What are we supposed to do? What's happening? What about the economic situation that we're going through? And I went out yesterday and put gas in my car. It's 40-something dollars, $45. I'm riding my motorcycle, all right, Aya? $45. Well, what about the economic situation that we find ourselves in? Well, this expert says we're supposed to do this, and this expert says we're supposed to do this. Well, who's the authority and who's the expert? Who's the one that we're supposed to follow? Who am I going to align myself with? And we all know the reality of this is that. That probably two, three years down the line, we're not going to know the full answer until it becomes to play itself out, right? That's what's going to happen. Experience will tell us which way was the right way. But there is no authority. There is no recognized authority expert that we can look to to say, thus saith it's going to happen. And what about on a personal level? What about on a personal level? Those situations, we cannot control the decision. But what about you? you? You find yourself in a situation. Maybe I'm struggling with my marriage. Maybe my partner has done something that I don't necessarily agree with. What am I supposed to do? 
Who's the authority? Who do I turn to? Family, friends, Oprah, Dr. Phil, Google? Seriously, I mean, when you're confronted with that, what are you doing? Or you're a businessman or businesswoman. You've got a business. Where do you find the principles for how to align your business and the things that you should be doing and the things that you should be doing? Or you're a student. What am I supposed to do in the future? How do I align my life? What am I supposed to do? Who's the authority? Who's going to tell me what to do? I'm not necessarily going to listen to my mom and dad anymore. They offer me good things, but who's going to be the authority of my life? Where do I go to for help? Who's the authority and who do I listen to? Listen. The question and the issue can become life-altering when we're confronted with the reality of things, those things in our life, the questions in life. And what we find in our text today from the situation from John, the example of that God and Jesus speaks with authority. What we're going to do is in Mark chapter, we're going to see that Jesus speaks with authority. And I want us to see four things from Jesus' authority. Number one is authority. It's instructive. Jesus' authority, it confronts us because he's the Holy One of God. You know, it offers us its comfort. It offers us peace and comfort. And it offers us direction in our life. And so what I want to do is I want to look at that. Jesus' authority is powerful to help us to live. So let's just kind of walk through the text together. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. We're going to walk through this, and we're going to learn about the authority of Jesus. What authority does Jesus have in my life? We'll see that this morning. Look at verse 21 and verse 22. Jesus' authority is instructive. Verse 21 says this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he began to teach. The people were, what, amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, what, what, what Mark is doing here is, is this, that Jesus is about 30 years old, and he's beginning his ministry, and he's, he's called four people to be with him, Peter, James, John, and Andrews called them. And by the way, what were they? They were businessmen, right? They were owning a fishing industry. They were in part of the fishing. They were business leaders, if you will. Capernaum's not that big, maybe 10,000 people at this particular point in time. So these guys are down by the lake, and Jesus comes along, and he says, by the way, I want you to reorient your life to me. Stop your business and come and follow me. And they, they come to follow me. They come to follow him. And they end up in, in Capernaum, most likely at, at, at Peter's house. And they've invited to to. Jesus, because they've, they've seen him teach, they've known some things going, they've invited him to, to come to the synagogue and uh, to share as a rabbi, as a gifted teacher, why don't you come and, and why don't you share some things for us? And so that's what they do. And, and it must have been a significant city and it must have been a significant uh, synagogue because you have to have at least 10 Jewish men, uh, leaders, to have a synagogue. So there, there's some religious people here. There's some religious authorities here. There's, there's, there's this... Uh, gathering of people, these godly men and women, these families have gathered together, and, and they want to worship and they want to honor God in the way that they can. And somehow, some way, one of the religious leaders has invited Jesus, this rabbi, to come and to speak and to share. And, and notice in verse 22 what he's talking about. These people hear that Jesus has this different kind of authority, not like the teachers of the law, not like the scribes of the day, but there's something unique about Jesus. There's something very, very different about the way that Jesus speaks and the authority that he has. See, the teachers of the law or the scribes, what they would do is this. They would study an issue. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's some social issue. Maybe they would uh, look at what was going on, and and they could look back to what Rabbi so-and-so said, or this rabbi said this. So whatever the issue is, Rabbi so-and-so said this. And whatever the issue said, Rabbi so-and-so said this. And they didn't necessarily know exactly what to do or say. The only thing that they could do is quote the rabbis, quote somebody else, quote some other type of authority. But that's not happening with Jesus here. 
Jesus comes and immediately he begins to speak with the authority that they'd never seen before. There is something powerful, there's something mighty about the authority and the way that Jesus teaches and the way that he conducts his life that's very, very different than the rabbis and the teachers of the day. And they recognized it. They were amazed at the authority that Jesus. Right around Jesus, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, he would say these words. And this was so unique and powerful about who Jesus is and the authority and the words that he would bring. John chapter 14, verse 10 says this. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is my Father living in me who is doing his work. In other words, you can't get any higher than this. His words have the very, very authority of God, if you will. God's anointed had come. God's anointed, the one who was well-pleased by God, was now marching in among them, was in their synagogue, speaking to them about the very authority of God's word. And they were amazed at the power and the authority that this Jewish rabbi had to confront their lives with the truth of who God is and what he is. We're all familiar with the, the concept of authority, aren't we? And somewhat. You know, it's baseball season. I want to give an illustration from uh, the baseball world. M many, many years ago, there's a, a guy by the name of Babe Ruth. I have to say that because some of you young people don't know about a guy named Babe Ruth. He's a very, very popular guy, hit a lot of home runs. So many years ago, there was a story about him. The story goes like this. Um, during one particular at-bat, um, he was a home run hitter. Um, the umpire, Babe Pinelli, called Ruth out on strike. So he's up to bat, and the pitch comes in, and he calls him, strike three, you're out. Well, there was just sudden silence in, in the stands, and Ruth turned, Babe Ruth turned to the umpire and said this. There are 40,000 people here who know that that last one was a ball. And this is what the umpire, Pinelli, replied. Yep. Maybe so, but mine is the only opinion that counts. That, my friends, is authority. And that's where Jesus comes. The people were amazed at who he is. They were amazed by his actions. They were amazed at the very, very authority. He doesn't teach like the rabbis. All the rabbis would say this. They would give their thoughts. They would give their opinions. But Jesus comes and he speaks as one who has authority. And what we know from the context of Mark chapter 1 is this. He's already been talking to them about the kingdom of God. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says, listen, I, I've got to go out into the other areas because I have a message and I want people to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Over and over in the gospel of Mark, what is he doing? He's speaking to them, challenging them about the kingdom of God. 35 times in the gospel of Mark, he alludes to this thought that the kingdom of God has arrived. How has it arrived? In the unique person of Jesus. The kingdom of God has arrived. The rule and the reign of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives has arrived. And because of his actions and because of his words and because of all that he's doing, the kingdom of God has been confronting our lives. It's confronting us for who we are and what we've done and what we need to do to get our lives and orient our lives in a way that would honor and glorify him. To change, to repent, if you will, is what I've done. And when Jesus came, they heard these words. You have heard that it was said. Rabbi so-and-so says this. The Old Testament says this. But I tell you, there's something different. I'm going to give you another frame of reference. Because my words come from the very mind and heart of God, I'm going to give you another reference for how that you should live your life. Will you orient your life? You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And, and let me ask you, do we orient our lives that way? Do we orient our lives on who Jesus is and what he said to us? Are we amazed at the, the teachings of Jesus and how it confronts us 
in the ways that we should act? Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. This is another example of Jesus' words. Notice what he says. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's from the Old Testament. That's the way that you thought that you were supposed to live your life. But notice how I'm going to change this. Notice what I say. But I tell you, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. What does Jesus do? He says, listen, I'm going to give you a new way for you to relate to people who have wronged you in some way. Do you think that that's radical teaching? I do. Because I sometimes don't want to respond to my enemies that way. I don't want to pray for them and I don't want to forgive them, especially if the wound is deep and the wound is hard in a marriage relationship, in a family. When you have been damaged, when you have been wounded, it's deep down inside of you. And what Jesus does is he comes and he confronts us with the way that we are to order ourselves and to order our relationships. And what Jesus does, he comes and he instructs us And who is? He says, by the way, I have a different way of relating to God. I have a different way of relating to other people. And will you accept my authority on how you should order your life? So that means this. The authority of Jesus means this, that no matter what I'm going through, would it be my finances or maybe a relationship or maybe my marriage or something else? Something else. What I can do is I can take my life to him. I can look at his authority and I can submit myself. What does Jesus say about this particular Jesus' word instructs us. Second thing I think we learn is this. Jesus' word is confrontational. He confronts us. Look at verse 23 through 25. So he's in the synagogue. He's been teaching in the synagogue, and all the people are amazed. Oh, wow, look at what's going on. They're amazed at his teaching. We don't know the specifics of what he's teaching at this particular point in time. We have no idea what's going on. But notice what happens, verse 23. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 25, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. Now listen, we know very little about this man, occupation, family background. We just don't know a whole lot that the gospel writer Mark doesn't give us a whole lot of information. But I wonder if we're familiar of of maybe a parallel situation of someone who is struggling in life. And I'm sure we all are familiar with someone who's maybe struggled with this, this idea of depression. That every once in a while that this, this cloud or this thing, whatever it is, hangs above them and they just don't know how to get out of it. They feel in this funk and they don't know what to do and their lives feel like they're controlled. In, in the situation here, this, this person, this man is being controlled by a demonic spirit, if you will. It was such a bad situation that, that, that everything that this man knew about God had been, been changed and radically altered, if you will. He'd been captured, if you will, by an enemy of God who didn't want anything to do with the nature and the character of God or anything to do about Jesus. How was bad to the situation? In, in Mark chapter 9, a, a man, a father, brings his young child to his disciples and they can't cast out this demon. And, and the report to, to Jesus is, listen, what, what the demon does is it often tries to throw him in the fire and it tries to destroy him and, the, and your disciples couldn't cast it out. This is a very, very real situation. Somehow Satan had grabbed a hold of his heart, mind, and soul, and one of these demonic beings had come inside of him and controlled all of the thoughts and emotions and everything that was going on. In the middle of a church service, in the middle of a synagogue, this man sitting there, he's confronted with the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done through Jesus' teaching, the power of Jesus' teaching to confront us in the situation that we find ourselves in. I want you to notice the nature 
of this demonic being's response, if you will. First of all, he says this, what do you want to do with us? What do you want to do with us? In other words, listen, there's a battle going on. You and I, we, we have nothing in common together. We have no business together. And he knew that light and darkness do not go together. We have no business with each other. There's a separation here. There's a battle being drawn here. The lines are being drawn here, if you will. Light and darkness are going into battle. Jesus is going into battle against an enemy, against the spiritual forces of evil. Notice, secondly, it says this. Have you come to what? To destroy us. Interesting. Us. The Gospel of Matthew, there's another encounter with a demonic spirit. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, it says this. Have you come here to destroy us, what? Before the appointed time. Matthew and Mark remind us through the words of this demonic evil being, that judgment is coming. They knew that at some particular point in time in the future, they were going to be destroyed, cast away. They were going to experience judgment. They already knew this. And by the way, it's not one, it's plural. In other words, they know that they have been confronted in the words of Jesus, in the actions of Jesus. They have been confronted with the reality of who Jesus is. And one day, they are going to face judgment. The battle with these unseen forces had arrived. And notice finally this last thing. Notice they also know the identity of Jesus. Just like John's illustration. They know the identity of Jesus. Verse 20 says this, 24 says this, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Though everyone else in the synagogue is probably clueless as to the true identity of who Jesus is in his words and his actions. Here, this demonic spirit knows exactly who Jesus is. What? You are Jesus of Nazareth. You are the Holy One of God. This man has been captured and held by one of Satan's demonic beings in such a way that it radically altered his life. See, I think sometimes when we we think of a situation like this, we, we, we find it really difficult to get our minds and our hearts around something like that because we're not confronted with it on a daily basis. That's why I wanted John to share that story because it is real. I've never seen it. I've never experienced it. Most of the time I've seen that Satan coming alongside on the outside, tempting us and, and moving us and moving us to, to other directions. But we can look at our, our world. Can't we look at our world and go, what is going on? I mean, don't we see some types of evil that grips our hearts and it breaks our hearts? And we're left standing going, wait, I, I don't understand what's going on. There's this evil about us. I don't know how to reconcile with that. I don't know what to do. And, and, and maybe on a, on a lesser level, it becomes a little bit more personal to us. Maybe Satan doesn't necessarily enter into our lives and control us, but maybe there's an eating disorder that someone is struggling with and not really sure of how and what to do, where to go. I remember being a youth pastor and being confronted with some of our young people. You know, they were cutting themselves. They were making marks on their arms and their legs. They were destroying themselves. We look at some of those things and we don't really know and understand exactly what's going on. And it causes us confusion. Maybe there's someone with a drug problem. They, man, we didn't see that coming. Didn't really expect it. But all of a sudden, a family member or a friend of yours has been confronted with a, with a drug problem. And we're left scratching our heads wondering, what? What's going on? What makes them act that way? What's going on in their life? There's an evil that around us, sometimes it confronts us, that we just don't know what it's about. We don't know the authority behind it other than it's demonic, and it captures and holds people and changes them into being all that God wants 
and have them to be. We can't see them, but they are serving this evil being by the name of Satan. What do we do? How do we respond? The Bible says this, that we respond to the very, very authority of who God's word is and what he would have for us. He confronts us. The Holy One of God confronts us with the reality of who he is in his actions and in his works. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 13, we have this idea of what Satan and his evil demonic beings do. Revelation 13 says this, they blaspheme God and slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. What do they do? They come and they confront us about the reality of God. They blaspheme God about this wonderful place called heaven, our future, if you will, and those who live in heaven. And that's what these evil demonic beings do. They confront us and twist the very scriptures of who God is and what he would have for our lives. Maybe we don't experience that directly, but it's out there. It's out there, and we are immersed in this culture, if you will. And in verse 24, it says this, this evil being is confronted with the spiritual reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. I know who you are. I know your identity. You are the what? The holy one of God, the holy one of God. You are the righteous one. You are the perfect one. You are the one that's come to ordain our lives in such a way to offer us forgiveness, if you will, for the things that we've done. First John talks about this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come in the incarnation? One of the reasons that he came was to destroy the very works of the devil. And that's what we see happening in this text. And that's what we see in the life of this young person. Jesus, in another time, went to the city of Nazareth and he was teaching. He was invited to teach and he was invited to come to the front. And one of the, the leaders, the religious leaders, handed him the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he took this scroll and he walked through it and he opened it and he turned to Isaiah. And this is what he read, if you will. Isaiah, the prophet says this, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to oppress to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in that synagogue, Nazareth, he read those words from the prophet Isaiah. He closed up that scroll, sat down, and then he went to them and said, today this scripture finds fulfillment in your presence. In other words, they knew that Isaiah, this passage from Isaiah, they knew Isaiah chapter 60. They knew that this was a passage that proclaimed the work of the Messiah and what the Messiah would do and how he would come and he would proclaim freedom and he'd release the captives, if you will. And that's what we see experiencing in Mark chapter 1. This man held captive, if you will, by a demonic spirit has been released. He's freed up to go and operate and be the kind of man that God would have him to be as he orders his life under the umbrella of God's authority. You see how the authority of Jesus instructs us? You see the authority of Jesus confronts us? It confronts evil. It confronts the evil in our own lives. Why? Because he's the Holy One of God. He's going to bring a certain measure of holiness to his teaching. Am I going to align myself with the authority of Jesus and the holiness of Jesus and the way that he would come and teach the way that I should live my life? Or am I going to pick and choose what I want and the way that I should? See, there's, there's power here in the authority of Jesus as the Holy One of God. And notice how Jesus speaks. He says, be quiet and be gone. There's no mumbo jumbo. There's no print. He just speaks. 
The powerful words of Jesus speaks, be quiet and leave this man alone, and the demonic spirit is gone. Do I respond to God's word in that way? I mean, think about the guys that followed. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Businessmen, okay, I'm going to reorient my life. I'm going to leave. Do I struggle at times with the way that God would have me to follow? Do I hem and haw? Oh, you know, I don't know. Is that really what it means that I'm supposed to do that? Jesus speaks with authority and instructs us. Jesus speaks with authority and he confronts us. Jesus speaks with authority and notice in verses 22 and 27, it's powerful. They're blown away. Verse 22 says this. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. That's just Jesus' teaching. So they, they're hearing him speak, and they're amazed at his teaching. Now look at verse 27. After he has cast out the demon, verse 27 says this. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. Let me ask you, do you have a favorite preacher, pastor, preacher, guy that speaks, man or woman who speaks the word? I'm sure you do. I hear it all the time from you. That's a great thing. You know, David Hawking for me, I used to love, I heard a sermon by John MacArthur at Moody Pastors Conference, went over an hour, and I was like this. There's a lot of men and women who teach God's word in a wonderful way. Denise teaches God's word to our children in a powerful way. Hannah Talley is a great teacher. She's an awesome teacher. Cindy Wells is a great teacher. This guy over here, John, He's a very good teacher. When you sit under good teaching, what does it do? It amazes you. It, it, it reminds us of something beyond ourselves. There's power, if you will, in good teaching. And that's what these people are seeing here. There's a very, very big difference between the way that they use amazed in verse 22. They were astonished. They were shocked. They were thrilled at this teaching in verse 22. But when you look at verse 27, it's a very, very different kind of amazed. They were amazed, but there's a little bit of, who is this guy? If he's teaching with authority, and if he's teaching with authority to cast out demons, what are the implications of that authority in my life? It's not just this one thing in a church. The authority extends to the way that we would live, the way that we would operate. All that Jesus would say and do, that's where the extension of the authority comes in. Well, I respond to that way, and they were blown out of their mind, if you will, the person of Jesus. And it won't be the last time that they're amazed, if you will. In chapter four, 1, verse 41, Jesus casts out a leper, and he says, by the way, be clean. What? Oh, wait a minute. A guy with a skin disease, he speaks and it's gone. Now go show yourself to the priest. He's clean. Chapter 2, verse 3, there's a guy, a paralytic. They can't get him in. There's so many people around the house, they can't even get him in. They go to the roof and they let him down. The four men let him down in front of Jesus. And, and and, and they left this paralytic right, right in front of all the people. And, and what does Jesus say to him? Son, your, your sins are forgiven. Wait, wait a minute, that's not why we dropped him down here. What's the deal with the forgiveness of sins? In the healing of the paralytic, it will demonstrate that even Jesus has the ability, as God has the ability to forgive sins. That's the might and the power of Jesus. And we should be amazed at who he is and what he would have done. Your son, your sins are forgiven. And one last, and I'm going to give you this illustration because I love this story. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, these seasoned fishermen, they're in the boat, storm comes up, wind and waves crashing over the sides, breaking over the stern. Jesus, don't you care that we drowned? 
don't you care about us? And then Jesus gets up and it says this, he rebuked the wind and the waves and it became calm. Okay, so it's one thing to rebuke the wind and stop it. Do you know how long it takes for waves to stop? A really silly illustration was I was changing the, the water in my uh, saltwater fish tank. And as I moved the water to change it, I looked down and, and the water was doing this. And like a couple of minutes later, guess what? It was, it was still doing this. And I sat down and I looked at that water and I'm going, man, the Sea of Galilee. Wind's coming up, running through the mountains, the waves crashing over it. No doubt the water in the Sea of Galilee doing this. The, the, the wind stops and all of a sudden it's what? Peter, James, Andrew, and John are going skiing behind the boat. It's that calm. Listen, I, I don't mean to be silly, but that's the power of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. That's the authority of Jesus, and that authority speaks to our lives. Will we allow it to instruct us? Will we allow it to confront us because of the holiness of who Jesus is? Will we be mesmerized at the power of who Jesus is? And By the way, his power can radically change your life and my life if I would submit to that. No matter where I'm at or what circumstances. Listen, if you're a young people, God's word can change your life. As an older person, God's word can offer you the help and hope that you need because of the authority. So Jesus' authority, it's instructive, it's powerful, it's confrontation. The last thing I'm done is this. It's comforting. It's comforting. What did did the demonic being do with the power that he had? He controlled this man for evil. The Bible says this. The thief comes to kill, to rob, and destroy. Make no bones about it. The thief comes to kill, to rob, and destroy. You may think that you're on a great course. You may think that life is fun and fulfillment. Ultimately, it's a path that leads to destruction. That's what that demonic being did. It brought this person, leading him to a place of destruction. What does Jesus' power do? Frees us to worship and honor and live to be a productive member of society. And so Jesus goes, and he goes to Peter's mother's Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law. And, and notice in the text, it says they brought, they brought Jesus to her. Jesus, my mother-in-law is here. Is there anything that you can do? And in a beautiful picture, he just he, he touches her and, and raises her up. And she begins to wait on him. What a beautiful picture of what? Of God's comfort and God's, God's word because of who he is and, and what he's done. That, that comfort comes to us and he, he speaks and he reaches out to us and says, I, I can help you here. And by the way, at the end of the day, what's happening? It says this, the whole town is knocking at the door. And they're bringing their sick, and they're bringing their demon-possessed. They're bringing all of these people to Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, can you help them? Because of your words, because your authority, because of your power, because of who you are, you have the power to change and radically alter people's lives. By the way, the text also says that he wouldn't allow the demons to speak. Why? Because the demons knew who he was. He was the Holy One of God. Listen, this isn't about tricks. This isn't about miracles. This is about ultimately about the words of Jesus, life, death, burial, and resurrection, and who he is and what he come to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin and a way for us to order our lives under the very umbrella of who God is and what he would have. Very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's starting out in the city of Capernaum. He's grabbed these four guys, reordered their lives in the middle of a synagogue, a man with a demonic spirit is there, and Jesus speaks, and they saw a life transformed. You know that Jesus can do that for your life? And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what the challenge is for you. It's really hard and difficult right now. But I want to just say, will you, will you allow yourselves? We will keep our eyes on you. Isn't that beautiful? 
we will keep our eyes on you. Our mighty fortress is our God. Your kingdom is what? Unshakable. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we have because of who Jesus is. I hope that you will trust the very authority of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Father, thank you. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for ministries like Spoken Worldwide who go out and minister in a way that's very, very different. And Father, in that illustration and from this text, we're reminded of the authority of Jesus. Lord, in the Gospel of John, it talks about one day Jesus speaking forth, and everyone in the graves will one day be resurrected, some to life eternal and some to life destruction, all because of the very words of Jesus and the power that he has in our lives. Father, I pray that there is someone here today who has never turned their eyes and their heart to Jesus. They would simply respond to the might and the power of who Jesus is. And they would just simply repent of their sin and say, Lord, I, I don't know and I don't understand it all. But today I trust you for your word. I trust in your death on the cross for my sin. I trust you for who you are and what you've done. And I want to put my faith, my confidence in you. And Father, I pray that we would be people of the book because of who you are. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.